Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. We are live. This is Pitch Tech Asia. We're in the Asia Tech Podcast studio here in Singapore. It's Graham Brown, joined by Raina Loy, co-founder and CEO of Good for Food. Raina, welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me, man. Super excited for this. It's great to have you here. And, um, you know, the conversation of today is going to be about good for food mm-hmm. and what you're doing. Th- there is a huge problem with food waste. Huge problem. Yeah. I'm just going to ask you to come a little bit closer to the yep. mic. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Good. So we, we had a bit of a rush going into the studio today, but um, now good for food. You are, um, give me a little bit of the background on how you got to this space. You came from the world of banking. Not really. I mean, I'm a university student, right. majoring in finance, minor entrepreneurship, and uh, my story goes like this. So yeah. in university, uh, at my uni, we all have to do a sort of service learning project. Yeah. We have to work with different organizations. And my passion is reaching out to youth at risk. Right, okay. So I partner with an organization where basically I go down to the center and I mentor and befriend youths who come from slightly more challenging backgrounds. What would that mean? So um, they come from families, single parent or their parents that are serving jail time yeah. or you know parents are juggling four to five jobs to put meals on the table yeah so often these kids they get in bad company because they don't have a lot of time with their parents and all and so my main role was just to have a positive impact and influence yeah. on their lives and there was this one youth that i was journeying with, with the, uh, for a while and there was one day i took him out for dinner and after dinner i sent him home and at the door i told his mother i said oh auntie you don't have to worry about your son's dinner anymore because we just had dinner together at that point she started to tear up and mm. she started to like thank me profusely and I said oh it's okay it's okay you know it's just one meal I can afford it she then told me how much that meant to her and her son because on most nights she can't afford to put dinner on the table mm. and I was shocked as a 22 year old very ignorant I did not realize that there were Singaporeans that were falling through the cracks yeah. of our social system and uh, I walked away from that experience feeling a great sense of injustice because at the same time I was very aware of Singapore's food waste situation so you were studying finance at the time, mm-hmm. but yep. you were really operating at the other end of the social spectrum. Why, yeah. were you, why were you doing that? Why didn't you just sort of focus on getting good grades and going into the world of banking? To be honest, um, growing up, I had people who came into my life mm. to mentor me. Mm. Uh, and I just felt that value immediately. And uh, I realized that not many people in Singapore can have that sort of same blessing yeah. and privilege. So I thought, hey, you know, pay it forward. Um, and that's really the least I could do given the number of amount of, you know, uh, good things that my mentors have done for me. Exactly. Yeah. How old are you now, Marina? 25. You're 25? Yeah. Okay. And you graduated when? I have not graduated. You actually. haven't graduated? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm in final year. You're in final year. Um, but I've been uh, basically putting my studies on hold for the last year and a half to pursue yeah. good for food full time. And I'm so okay. thankful that my school is like super supportive. All right. So let us understand that. Yep. I mean, it's an important part of your story. Um, obviously, being 25, uh, for those outside Singapore, you're going to sort of go into the world of work a little bit later than most people. You've done an NS and yeah. all that, right? Yep. So you're in the last year of your studies. Exactly. And you're doing, you, have you taken a sabbatical to do this or is this part of your studies? It's a sabbatical, basically. Right. So you've taken a year out to do good for food. Yep. Okay. So we're going to talk about good for food, but mm-hmm. I want to be a fly on the wall of that conversation that you yep. had with your, your professor or your dean or whoever it was when you said you were going to take a sabbatical. How did you do that? What did you say to them? And even to your family and so on, you can say, mm-hmm. look, I know you, you sort of backed me to go to college to study and I'm going to take a bit of time out. How did that go? 
yeah, so first thing I have to say is that my school is super supportive of me. Uh, so I come from the Singapore University of Social Sciences. And something that they're really, really huge on is uh, social enterprise, social entrepreneurship. They actually run courses these days on entrepreneurship and uh, with a particular focus on helping you know, people think hard about you know, some of the social and environmental issues around us. So when I went to the provost, basically, I told him, I said that, you know, if you're going to force me to take an internship in the bank, because we all have to do a six-month compulsory internship, right. I told him, I said, I will literally rot in the bank. Why? And I, I just don't enjoy it anymore, I suppose. I mean, at that point in time, you know, I was doing good for food and, uh, you know, running my own company, working on what I'm passionate about. Finance just started to become a little bit dull, mm. to say the least. So I told him, I said, you know, hey, I have a proposition for him, right? I'm a hustler. So I, I, I proposed to him, I said, hey, can I do my internship and my own company and like, you know like have that six months uh, yeah. you know be sort of counter you know <laughs> it took a while to Had convince him before? Were you the first? <laughs> I am the first I so, like your style yeah so uh, they told me like no I mean like you are a finance major we want to equip you with like right. working experience in a bank so that you know right. when you graduate you can get a job I said no but I don't want to work in a bank I want to run my own company so it took a while to convince him but I think at the end of the day he was like you know what okay go for it we yeah. support you if they're teaching entrepreneurship, there is entrepreneurship right there, <laughs> isn't it? That somebody has the audacity to pitch something like that. And it wasn't like you were pitching it just because you wanted to take time off and mm -hmm. just, you know, yeah. laze around. You actually believed in this. Yeah. And uh, so again, super thankful to my school. Yeah. Uh, after that, they actually came up with the entrepreneurship minor program. Yeah. And, and again, uh, you know, I went to them again. I said, hey, you know, I've been running my business. You can't teach entre entrepreneurship in a classroom. Uh, sure, you can a little bit, mm. but it's all about the execution. It's all about grinding and hustling and getting your hands dirty. Yeah. Uh, and so I told them, I said, you know, if it's going to be something like a course, you're going to make me sit in a class for like 50 hours, I know where I'm going to be interested in that. Did you actually say it in those words? Uh, probably a little bit, you know, more... Diplomatic. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they, they took my sort of feedback and uh, today what they have is a completely different program. Yeah. So no classes at all. Workshops, they are not really compulsory as and when you think that it adds value to you. Uh, it's really focused on execution. So mm. you pass the course if you start a company and you raise money. Yeah. That's good. That's, yeah. that's your diploma certificate <laughs> right there, yeah. isn't it? So, All right, Rainer, um, let's talk about good for food. How yes. long have you been running this? Um, our two-year anniversary will be in May. Right. So, so you're just yeah. coming up to 20 months now. Yep. Well, yep. Less. Sorry, more. Yep. 22. Yeah. Time flies. Mm -hmm. So you started it whilst you were a student. Yes. And you started, I want to know all about how you started it, who you started it with, and mm -hmm. how much money you started with. Yeah. So um, I started it by myself initially. Just had the idea, you know, was looking on the internet, what yeah. sort of solutions are out there for food waste. And I saw a lot of solutions around recycling yeah. so you know your food digester machines and all i also looked and uh, saw many solutions around for example redistribution so mobile app you know restaurant is going to close surplus food sell it right. at a highly discounted rate and all but what i realized was that there were no solutions or almost no solutions targeting food waste at the prevention level yeah so i saw opportunity there okay we're going to go a bit deeper into the solution um, mm -hmm. That's fine. So I don't want you to repeat your yeah. content. So just yep. give us the very top line. So you, you saw the opportunity. Yeah. You had an idea. Yep. You started it by yourself. Yep. How much money did you start with? Uh, almost no money, to be right. honest. Uh, okay. I joined a accelerator program. 
in the university? Nope, Alta University. It's called Impact Tech. Yeah, and I believe you guys will be interviewing uh, Kinneret uh, sometime soon. I know soon. Kinneret very well. Yeah, so yeah. we're part of their first cohort. Awesome, good for you. Yep, and uh, I met my co-founder there. Very good. Mm-hmm. He also got in with his own idea, also on food waste. Yeah. And it's the idea I actually pivoted from. So before this idea, I was actually working on something slightly different, also yeah. food waste related. I tried to execute, didn't really work out. And I told him, I said, Keshav, uh, my co-founder's name, I said, Keshav, here are my learnings. See if you can take it off. Mm-hmm. And he told me, he said, oh, Rainer, you're not the first person to tell me this maybe wouldn't work. And I took the opportunity to poach him because he's an engineer. I am... Poach him the from what? guy, basically, from his own... Yeah. His own startup. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he decide, we decided to join forces. And uh, yeah, it's been a 24-month, 20, 22-24-month journey. Is he a student as well? Um, he is a student. He He's currently actually serving the army. Oh, uh, okay. He's 20 years old. Okay, so when does he get out? Uh, he gets out uh, in a couple of months, in August. Okay. Yep. All right, so... Um, the team reforms. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, I mean, it's great that you met at uh, Impact Tech. So you work with Yoav and Kinera there. Yep. That's a great team as well. A lot of experience, which is good. So you, you did that. Let me understand. You took that accelerated course whilst you were at university. Absolutely. So yep. where did you find the time to do that? Uh, the, the sessions were mostly in the evenings. Uh-huh. So I still could find time, you know, like outside of class. <laughs> As a, uh, there you go. Yeah. It's right there. So anybody that complains that they don't have time to do this. Yeah, hey, I, I always believe in uh, the 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. Yeah. So do your normal day job or your school from like 9 to 6. And then it's all about what you're doing from the 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. Right. So, That's the real education. Yeah. 7 to 2, right? Yeah. Okay. We'll go um, into uh, the pitch deck in a minute and have yep. a look. So um, you're going to talk about the problem and the solution. Mm-hmm. Like you've mentioned how people address the problem of food waste right maybe we can start at the very top and talk about the monetary value of this market you've got a great pitch um mm-hmm. deck slide slide number three if we can just jump in there yep scroll down um that's what every investor wants to see mm-hmm. is it spelt out in the money there can you tell us a little bit and maybe you can describe to me mm-hmm. um because some people aren't actually watching the video version of that so just tell me sort of you know face to face what this market is worth yep so we adopted a bottom-up approach. So we estimate a $9.24 billion market, and that's consisting of large hotels yeah. and buffet restaurants in APAC. Right. And, and the that, way, where does that calculation come from? Yeah. So the way we arrived at that number, basically we looked at all the number, sorry, four and five-star hotels in APAC that throw away at least 35 tons of food a month. Mm. And how we arrived at that figure, basically we just took 10% of all the number of hotels in APAC and we get the number from booking.com. So there are about 200,000 mm-hmm. hotels in APAC. We're taking a 10% of that uh, and we're saying that 10% are throwing away more than 35 tons. Right. And so re- 20,000 are throwing away exactly. 35 tons. Or more. A month. Or more. Yeah, so we don't really want to focus on the smaller hotels. Our target really yeah. is the big hotels, the ones that are throwing away at least 35 tons of food a month. Yeah. Yep. And we're also looking at buffet restaurants. So we estimate another 750,000 buffet restaurants in the APAC region. Yeah. We put those two numbers together and we multiply that number. So 770,000, multiply that by $12,000, mm. which is the amount that we would charge them right. per year. Right. And we arrive at 9.24 billion. So 12,000, so your market size of 9.2 billion mm-hmm. is your potential revenues is that what you're saying yep so we okay. use a bottom-up approach basically right okay yep. so you're saying it, it's not a 9.24 billion market it's 
your potential revenues Revenue. yeah. of a bigger market, right? Uh, yeah, so the thing is that, to be frank, like for our market, there is not much sort of information out there on like what hotels and buffet restaurants are spending yeah. on food waste reduction sort of solutions. So the way we sort of estimated the market was more of like just bottom up, right? The number of yep. hotels Fair available enough. and the it's more what we honest. Them. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Okay. So there's a lot of money out there. There's mm. a lot of waste. I mean, so you, where do you get that figure of 30, 35 tons from? Uh, so that's a number we set arbitrarily. Yeah. Uh, mostly because, again, we want to target the big boys mm. because they are the ones that are going to recognize the value we bring to them. If we are working for a small hotel that's only maybe throwing away three to five tons a month, mm. and maybe if we save them maybe 20, 30%, they're not going to feel sort of like the savings yeah. compared to a hotel that's throwing away 50 tons a month. Yeah. So we're just going for the big boys. And they're also chains as well. So Absolutely. you get in with one, you should be able to get in with all of exactly. them. Exactly. Okay. All right. So let's talk about the problem. Mm. So obviously there's a lot of waste, a right? A lot of waste. Um, if we can just sort of flip back up to slide two on the pitch deck here, um, it, you've sort of marked it out for us. Mm-hmm. Um, one hotel, 900 yep. tons. A is month. That, is that a month? A month. So there's one hotel, 900 tons a month? Yes. Okay. Um, That's the largest, of course. Yeah. And they have like a convention center. So 900 tons a month. That's uh, incredible. I mean, I, I've i used this pitch deck and like I also give, you know, talks about the yeah. food waste problem. Yeah. And each time I share this figure, like, I'm still trying to wrap my mind right. around that figure. Yeah. But how do you even visualize 900 tons of food? Well, it's like 45 elephants. <laughs> <laughs> or more, or 90 elephants, right? Yeah, I, I, no, I, I think it's way more than that. But yeah, it must be. Yeah. I don't know. Some, so, uh, maybe somebody can pull me up on the data there, but it's a lot, right? It's a so lot. there's a lot of wastage. Mm-hmm. Um, why? I mean, yep. because if it costs money, they would address it. So mm-hmm. what's the problem? Yeah, so uh, we have identified, I would say, three main areas that food waste uh, arises from. I think the first one, most of us can more or less identify with it. We call it overproduction from buffet service basically yeah. so imagine you know a four to five star hotel they're running a buffet and they're charging say 100 120 singapore dollars now the expectation is that when i'm paying 100 dollars for a buffet there better be food on the buffet line and it's always a challenge for the buffet restaurant because they mm. have to ensure that at every single point in time in the buffet service there needs to be enough food so to play it safe because they don't want consumers complaining they tend to overproduce and that leads to a lot of unnecessary waste mm. and a lot of unnecessary costs to the business. The second area that a lot of food waste arises from is what we call spot inventory. So, you know, uh, the kitchen has a procurement cycle and each time maybe like they procure X amount of, say, a certain ingredient. When the next cycle comes, they don't really check what's in the fridge mm. because it's too time consuming. Uh, they just throw and they order. And because they also pride themselves in serving the freshest and best ingredients, a lot of waste there also. Mm-hmm. The third area is what we'll call from the preparation process. So imagine hotel procures 10 kg, 100 kg of Wagyu beef. It will come in maybe like 10 kg slabs where the chef will have to portion. And say on their menu, they're serving 250 gram Wagyu beef steak. So the chef will actually have to portion that 10 kg mm-hmm. down to like 250 gram portions. Now, if that those individual portions fall below a certain tolerance level, say maybe like 15 grams, hmm. it gets thrown away. Mm-hmm. Because you can't be serving a 220 gram stick when on the menu you're saying yeah. it's 250 grams. Yep. Somebody's so, going to notice. Yeah. So a lot of, I would say, subconscious sort of waste hmm. happens at that level also. 
Mm. So those three main areas and those are the three main areas we track waste and then we give them insights on how to reduce it. Do you know that as a percentage of the complete amount of food? I mean, you, you talk about, for example, like, you know, average maybe 35 up to 900, for example. Um, what is that in the grand scheme of things about the in terms of the value of the food? that they purchase on the inventory or even the size, the volume of the food? So I can't give you exact numbers because uh, I think it varies from hotel to hotel. Uh, but what I can somewhat say is that most hotels, at least I know, they have like a KPI yeah. where their cost of goods has to be like maybe 30 to 35% of sales. Mm -hmm. So that's how much the ingredient is costing yeah. them. Yeah. But of that 30 to 35%, uh, Probably, maybe I would say, you know, 30 to 40, 50% of it is waste. Right. So a third of a third. Yeah. Something like that. So almost 10%. Yep. Of the complete cost. Potentially, yes. Or of the sale value or of the cost? Of I'm the sale value. Sale value. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Just based on those assumptions. Yeah, right. Yep. Obviously, a lot of assumptions and yep. nothing that we're going to set in stone, but I just want to get a feel for mm -hmm. how big the problem is. Mm -hmm. All right. So if you're, I've identified the problem and a lot of it is endemic in the, the process and just the natural factor that you have human beings and a lot of fresh goods as well. Mm -hmm. So it's going to um, cause a lot of wastage. The solution thus far has been, you've mentioned some of it already. Maybe you can just explain to us what those solutions are. What, what is the most obvious solution to yep. all this problem? The most obvious solution would be a food digester machine. Essentially what this machine is, you can imagine like a huge machine where that it takes in food waste yeah. and it converts it into fertilizer. Right. So that's one. The other one is it converts it into grey water. It's essentially a fancy way of saying like sewage waste. Right. So instead of calling the waste management company to take away the bags and bags of food waste, now they're disposing it through the sewage, mm -hmm. which is cheaper. Um, but that machine costs anywhere between 300,000 Singapore dollars to half a million right. Singapore dollars. Do they buy that or is that something that they then... They buy. Okay. they buy. So they have to have that on site. Exactly. And obviously that's going to be a large smelly mm -hmm. machine. Mm -hmm. Yes. Noisy. So smell. Yep. Cost. Somebody uh, has to operate it. Exactly. You know, they might get limbs lost in there, you know. <laughs> yeah, so really only the big boys right. can afford it. Um, and here's the thing I've learned about hotels is that they don't like capex. Yeah, They right. don't like to acquire assets because that means they also have to maintain it. Right, because they're a real estate play, effectively. Exactly. Yeah, so why spend on anything exactly. apart from bricks and mortar? Yeah, so for some of the hotels we work with, they have food digester machines. Yeah. And when I have really honest conversations with them, they say things like, in a whole year, the machine is only in operations for six months. Right. And the other six months is, you know, they have to get the approval for the maintenance and it just takes a long time. It's just really not the best solution. Plus, it's not even tackling the root problem, which is inefficiency. Right. Overproduction, so, so on and so forth. Symptoms rather than exactly. prevention. So that machine that sits in the hotel, that's one option. Mm -hmm. Does it, Just in terms of the actual impact, so that produces the... What, like the fertilizer, the, yep. the, the fertilizer, the grey water, mm -hmm. as you call it. Um, does that actually solve any sort of environmental problems as well? Or does that sort of just kick the can down the road? Well, I mean, for the fertilizers, I mean, like you're basically upcycling. So basically, it's like a full cycle. So yeah. like waste and then it goes to fertilizer, yeah. it goes to make more food, so on and so forth. That's fine. But st yeah. actually sticking it into the sewage as well, does that sort of cause an environmental problem? I, I mean, I don't have the exact figures. I'm yeah. not an expert in that area. But uh, I just know from the business point of view for the hotel, right, okay. it's just lower sort of disposal costs. Okay. Yep. All right. So the machine, we've mm. discussed the machine and with yes. all its costs and potential benefits as well, what else 
Um, so some hotels, they actually work with charities to redistribute hmm. surplus food to the needy. Now, here is where it gets a little bit more challenging because in Singapore, unlike some other countries, we don't have a Good Samaritan Act, which basically it's a law that protects the Good Samaritan for their goodwill. So, you know, in Singapore, we're super strict on hygiene. We're super yeah. strict on like, food safety. So imagine if somebody uh, receives the surplus food from a donor right. and they get food poisoning. Yeah. Now, hotels, they are fearful of this liability. Right. So they would be liable. Uh, I mean, yes, they would. Because there is no Good Samaritan Act. Exactly. Which in other countries sort of protects somebody who had the good intentions. Exactly. Right. So only a few hotels do this. Right. Most hotels that I speak to, they don't even want to venture mm. down there because they are fearful of the right. liability. It would be, yeah, I mean, it only take one case. Exactly. And you do not want a hotel to be associated with food exactly. poisoning. Exactly. Right. And this is the same for pretty much every single food establishment in Singapore, be it right. bakery, fast casual restaurants, so on and so forth. Mm. They all have this fear, fear yeah. of liability, which okay. is a shame. I mean, like we don't have that, that act. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, even if they were to introduce the act, I think any kind of food redistribution is hugely time and human being intensive as well exactly, so and inefficient. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I just said in terms of addressing the problem, you know, it takes a lot of hands to distribute food because you've got to separate the food. You've got to, you know, do it in time, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're dealing with meat or any kind of dairy produce, it has to move fast. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, whether yeah. or not it's going to, you know, go off, but the point is, is it still needs to be fresh when people receive it, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So there's that issue. Yeah. And then you've, you know, you, well, all the issue of actually sort of like packaging that and so on, that's another thing entirely. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you've talked about that. What's the third option? The third option is us. Prevention. Right. So tell us. Yep. Um, here's the premise of our solution. We believe that whatever can be measured can be managed, controlled, and prevented. Our key focus is providing very granular data to the kitchens on what they're throwing away, when they're throwing away, and where this food waste is being generated. Right. And our hope is that by collecting this data over a period of time, we can provide them actionable insights on how to reduce it. Mm. Let me give you an example. Please. If we can tell a buffet restaurant that for the last 30 days, their top wasted item is curry chicken. And for every lunch service, on average, they're throwing away 10 kgs of curry chicken. That is what we'll call actionable insights mm. because they can use that data to better plan for future lunch services. So okay. how, how we go about tracking the data is through our product. Uh, we call it Insight. It's a smart dustbin equipped with sensors. That All can, right, uh, we're going to go yeah. there. We'll get it on the pitch that you've got a good picture of it <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, because I mean, before we talk about your product, I would have thought... Mm. Well, I mean, if, if it really was something that I could derive a economic benefit for from, I could hire somebody, an intern, sit there and just count all the chicken legs going out or, you know, the weighing the, the curry. Surely I can do that, right? Yeah, it's too manual. I mean, uh, we have heard, I mean, I've spoken to some hotels and they, they, they do like a very occasional food waste audit, right. but they literally hire a consulting company. And he charged them like, you know, five figures. Absolutely. And literally they're standing there with a weighing scale, a manual weighing scale, uh, recording the amount of waste. Uh, but it's a one-time sort of yeah. event. It's not... It's a sample rather than ongoing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's costly, it's manual, it's time-consuming. All right, let's have a look at yours then. So this is the machine mm -hmm. that you have built. Yes, we have so built you, it. So you've built a prototype. So um, 
tell us a little bit about this. So you've built a working model of this? Mm-hmm. It's all in the market. Yeah. So it, people have bought it already? Yes. So you're out there selling it? Yes, we are. Okay. So how much does it cost to produce one of those? Uh, we're producing it in Singapore right now. Yeah. Uh, it, it's costing somewhere along the lines of $1,800 right. right now. Okay. Yeah. And what is it made out of? Just out of curiosity, it's just a plastic bin. Uh, so we don't actually build the bin. Oh, okay. We just built the lid. That okay. fits on top of so the bin. So that sort of hood on it. Exactly. I see. Yep. So the reason why we did it that way was because, I mean, 99% of all F&Bs in Singapore use that green bin. Right. It's a hundred and standard bin. Is it? It's a standard. Okay. So we figured like, okay, we don't need to buy the bin. We just right. built something that fits on top of it. And yeah, yeah. We can and be you, sure that every... Exactly. And you don't want to be selling bins. Yeah. Right? You're not in that business. Yeah. Okay. So you build the hood. Mm-hmm. Okay, tell us a little bit about that hood. Yep, What's so in it? it's equipped with a bunch of sensors. Yeah. The main ones will be firstly a weight sensor. Yeah. So that anything that gets thrown into it, so imagine like a platform, it's like a platform with a weighing scale. Mm. Anything that gets thrown on top of it, we are able to capture the weight. Yeah. And at the same time, we also install a camera. So it's like angled at a position where it's overlooking this platform. Yeah. So that anything that gets, get, that gets thrown into it, we are able to capture an image of it. Because we're using image recognition, right? So that we're able to identify whatever has been thrown away at a very right. granular level. And how accurate is that? Because mm-hmm. can it distinguish between a chicken leg and a banana, for example? Hundred percent. Right. So um, we've been able to achieve high eighties to low nineties in our accuracy. Yeah. Um, and what's pretty cool is that we're able to differentiate, for example, apple shavings. Yeah. And like apple or even like cut apples and the whole apple right and that's really important for us simply because for the kitchen they're actually very interested in not only are they like say wasting apple they're interested in what apple waste is this is this spoiled inventory apple it will look like a whole yeah. apple yeah or is it waste apple waste from the prep station yeah then maybe it's like chopped up or like shavings yeah because that gives them information as to which part of the process in their whole sort of supply chain is the waste being generated from and they, they can take action on that. Right. So you said 80 to 90% accuracy? High 80s to low 90s. Okay. So let's take 90. Yeah, sure. Okay. So even if it's 90%, there's this area of 10%. Sure. What happens there? Because do people have to go back and manually do it or you just put other in your analysis? Do they have to go back and say, let's have a look at that picture there. That looks like some rice or it might be pasta. I don't know. What happens in those situations? So what we've done is that we've built a way where when our AI is not the most confident of its uh, output, we set a threshold, a confidence level. Basically, if it falls below that, it gets routed to a part of our system where a human intervenes. Right. So pretty much on a daily basis, I'm logging into our system and looking at a bunch of images Hmm. anywhere between, uh, right now it's not that bad. It's like maybe 5 to 15 images uh, and I'm manually tagging it. Yeah, so that sort of ensures that, you know, our AI learns mm. and it's constantly improving. Right, so I would ask you, and any investor mm-hmm. would want to know how scalable is that? You know, what happens yep. when you've got 10,000 images coming yep. in and you have to sit and... That's a good question. So we foresee that this process would over time be, I wouldn't say eradicated, but kept to a minimum. Why? Because the game of image recognition is in the training data. The more data we have, the smarter our AI will become. Hmm. So when I mentioned previously about 90%, we're going to get to 95, 96, 97%. It's not a question of if. It's more a question of when. Right. Because the more images we get, when we scale across Singapore, uh, 
ASEAN, APEC, we're going to get more images of different cuisines. Our AI is going to get smarter mm. and it's going to be more accurate. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have to be 100%, does it, to no, be a success? No, I think honestly... There's a, even if they say there's unidentifiable 5%, it's fine. Yeah. You know, and you've got the, the main picture here. Exactly. Right? So like for any given buffet service, when we're collecting the data, we get anywhere between like maybe 50 to 60 different trolls. Right. This is not necessarily dishes because maybe for one dish, they're throwing it in yeah. two trolls. So maybe for every 50 to 60 dishes, I mean, do the math. Maybe like you're getting like what, one wrong? Mm. Maybe. It's not that bad. I think it wouldn't be the end of the world. Okay. <laughs> so you have image recognition built in there. You have the, the hood, which is the physical equipment which they have mm-hmm. to buy. Um, the model is they buy the hood and then subscribe to a service. How does it work? So we are hardware as a service. So similar to like a SaaS model, we don't sell the hood to them. Mm. Uh, again, going back to how they don't like to acquire assets, they rather this be a OPEX mm-hmm. rather than CAPEX. So we just do a installation fee plus a subscription fee. Right. And they love this model because that means we take care of the machine, we maintain it, and yeah. if they don't want it anymore, they just cancel. Yeah. But I mean, so far we haven't had anyone cancel on us. I mean, they love us. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this is the challenge with the, the maintenance of the machine because if you're throwing a lot of food waste in there, I imagine things are going to get bunged up, things are going to get, you know, fall apart. So what happens then? You have engineers that go out and service this regularly or what? Yeah, that's a great question. So when we designed the product, we kept all of these points in mind. Firstly, the product has to be robust because it's a quick kitchen equipment. In the kitchen, it's going to be busy. People are going to be knocking into it and all. So we made sure in the design process, we are making the product to last. It's robust. Secondly, it must be waterproof because we're in a wet environment. Mm. And not to mention when they have to clean the product, um, they will have to obviously use water to clean it. So it has to be waterproof. Mm. Uh, Water can't get into the electronics and to mess everything up. Um, So yeah, we do regular maintenance, but the maintenance is mostly right now because like we just want to make sure that our reliability is up there. We don't want the clients to be calling us. Yeah. So we are going down pretty much on a monthly basis Mm. for now, just making sure that things are okay. Uh, and so far, we haven't really faced a lot of problems with our latest version. In the past, you know, earlier prototypes, yeah, of course, we faced problems. It's to be expected. It's a mm. hardware product, but it's a prototype. But now we've gotten to a point where uh, we're confident with the reliability and we're basically ready to scale. Good. That brings me to your journey. Mm-hmm. So where we are in the the story of Good for Food, how far you've come and what happens next. You've got a slide. If we can jump into the pitch deck on slide 18, we zip towards the end. And, and by the way, I mean, you know, you've got some great slides in there. Thank you. you. You've gone into real depth as well. Um, we don't have time to go through them all. Um, look at slide 18. Before we get to the team slide, if we just bump one up, if we, if we may, Barrett, that one there. Um, not that one, sorry. Down one. We're going to the team. Ah, the re- there we are. Let's do the team first. Why not? Because <laughs> I want to know who is involved. Um, tell us a little bit about who your team are, um, when they joined you in that journey, and then talk about where you are in your fundraising. And yep. bear in mind, we're talking now March 2019. So if somebody's listening to this six months on, things yeah. have changed, right? Yep. So everything is time specific. So even with the team, in your journey, you started the founder, mm-hmm. right? Rainer Lloyd, then you obviously recruited, poached your yeah. co-founder. Yep. Um, who else have you got in the team? Yep. So uh, we also have Adro Tan, who is our lead product engineer. Yep. 
Uh, we got him mostly because um, we need a help in the hardware aspect. I mean, at the end of the day, we are an IoT company, which means we have both hardware and software. Uh, my co-founder, uh, Keshav, he has good experience in both. But in terms of hardware, we needed an extra pair of hands. We needed an extra mind to think about the design. Uh, so Adro has been great for us. He, his main role is to liaise with manufacturers, mm-hmm. um, continue to sort of innovate and make design changes to our existing product. Uh, and of course, he also handles all of the maintenance that we have today. Okay. Yep. So you three are the core team at the moment. We are the You're core the core team. full-time team. You, I know you've yes. got a few people who work for you on project basis, yep. maybe. Yep. And... Um, you're also hiring or? Yeah, we're hiring. Not, so you are hiring. We are hiring, Good. yes. So tell us a little bit about your hiring needs at the moment. Yeah, so we're looking, I would say, the hiring for us, I think, and getting these two people is a key success ingredient for us, I feel. Yeah, the two that are, if, so if somebody can't see this on the pitch deck, tell me a little bit about who those people are. Yep, so firstly, we're looking for a full stack developer. Yeah. I think we need more support on the back end uh, to really sort of support, you know, the momentum we're getting. And as we're scaling to more restaurants and, and uh, sorry, more hotels, I should say, yeah. uh, we need uh, someone to come in to help us with that. Uh, not to mention also, I think there's more work to be done on our data visualization because as much as we can collect the data through our hardware product, we still need to make those beautiful reports yep. for our clients so that they can you know, see both at a macro and micro level what sort yep. of ways they have having. to action it. Exactly. So yep. we need a full stack developer to help us with those things. The second key hire will be what we'll call a computer vision engineer. Mm-hmm. So we think that computer vision is the game we're playing because um, when we are getting high levels of accuracy, this means that the data is not only accurate, mm. but it's seamless right, for our clients because they just need to throw, they don't need to do any manual input. And that also reduces the strain on our team where we need to manually input. So building our image recognition is also really key for us and also especially because this is our differentiator compared to our competitors. Hmm. So we want to continue to build on the head start I feel that we already have and bringing on a computer vision engineer will only help us to do so. So if you build up a competence of visual recognition based on food Mm. items, is that expandable into other areas? I mean, everybody eats food, obviously, but it may not just be food because it's obviously quite vague and Mm -hmm. amorphous objects that you might be dealing with, right? So I know you're focused completely on the hotels at the moment. Does it lend itself long-term naturally to other applications? So the first thing I want to say is that our image recognition technology is actually pretty unique. So there are image recognition models out there on just generic food. So for example, your very nicely plated chicken rice Hmm. or your very nicely plated cake. But what we're doing is something very different because chicken rice waste looks very different from nicely plated chicken rice. And Cake waste is very different from a nicely plated cake. Hmm. That makes it two things, right? Number one, it's not easy to do what we're doing for image recognition, which makes it harder for competitors to sort of, you know, chase us and compete in this field. But secondly, also, we can be the guys for food waste image recognition in the future. Because going back to what I shared previously, when we're getting like hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands and millions of food waste images, we be the go-to for our food waste image recognition model which we think in the future, that is something that's worth licensing out for. Yeah. I'm thinking about the potential opportunities. Obviously, you've thought through this in depth a lot more than I have. You know, I'm just new to the game. But, you know, obviously hotels is a great place to start because it's a lot more controllable. You're dealing with chains exactly. as well. Yep. Um, you know, there's also caterers who are yep. huge businesses. And for them, you know, this 
impacts the bottom line straight off the bat. So, Absolutely. you know, a caterer who could have this kind of technology and services, not just hotels, but also offices or mm -hmm. government departments or schools. Yep. Absolutely. You know, the impact of that is yep. huge long term. Yep. yep. And another interesting one I want to bring up is airlines. Yeah. So um, for airlines, what's really interesting is that it's more than just the food cost that they're saving on. Yeah. But imagine this. If they can bring on, say, 50 to 60 meals less than they would otherwise, that is maybe one to two trolleys. That is less cargo they need to bring on the plane. Absolutely. Which means less fuel. Yeah compounded by the number of flights they do every week, every month, every year, the business case is clear for them. It's more than just the food cost. It's also saving on fuel. Yeah, a good PR as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially in, in, in an industry which is mm -hmm. often targeted for its impact on the environment. Mm -hmm. Good. Uh, airlines, great. I'm meeting an airline guy this week. Yeah. Stay tuned. <laughs> awesome. Um, okay. Uh, let's talk about where you are in your fundraising. Um, I won't put the pitch deck up because this is also, um, I want to hear it from you directly and all the details are in there anyway, but it's liable to change as well. So anybody that's listening to this, it may be, you know, you've already closed a round, you're opening a new round and mm -hmm. so on. March, 2019, what are you raising? Um, where are you in your fundraising and what are you going to use it for? Yep. So we're raising a seed round, uh, half a million USD. Mm -hmm. So we have about, I would say slightly more than half of that already committed. Yeah. We have a lead investor uh, and we have like a bunch of like uh, business angels uh, that have already committed. Mm -hmm. So we're looking for the remaining half. We're looking to close within the next four to six weeks. And I think what we're really looking for is smart money. Uh, I think for us, you know, we have certain sort of areas where we want, you know, our investors to help us in. For example, in our business, B2B. I could spend a lot of time going through you know the ladder to get to the decision maker or I could get one of my investors to pick up the phone and get me a meeting with say the CEO of one of the world's largest hotel chains mm -hmm. that would just dramatically shorten my sales cycle so and that's the reason why we're pretty excited to be working with the lead VC that's come on board with us mm -hmm. uh, because they have extensive network in the APEC region and access to pretty much all of the large hotel chains mm -hmm. some of our other business angels they bring value in terms of uh um, market, uh, no, sorry, they bring value in terms of a sales, helping us build a sales team. Because a lot of what I'm doing right now is just myself, like me selling. I need to basically multiply myself, right? Bring on a sales team, build sort of a sales process, uh, repeatable and proven. So he can help us with that. I think right now what we're looking for is uh, C-level sort of uh, executives, you know, angels who have deep understanding of how to scale overseas. I think I'm, I don't want to be ignorant and think that, you know, going to say, for example, another country would mm. be as easy as like what we're doing in Singapore. I think there are a lot of nuances and a lot of challenges. Uh, and the thing is, I don't know what I don't know. Mm. So I'm very intentional about making sure that I bring people either in the form of mentors or investors to sort of cover my weaknesses. Mm -hmm. So someone who has experience scaling overseas, that will be really crucial for us. And I think another department would be marketing. So we haven't spent a lot of time uh, sort of, you know, creating our socials, you know, our website. What are those like customer testimony videos going to look like? What, what are the white papers going to look like? We haven't spent a lot of time on that, mm -hmm. nor do we really have the expertise. So I think someone who, who has maybe a little bit of a marketing and PR sort of background, like that would be amazing for us. Excellent. Well, you heard it here. So just roughly 
just over or roughly 200 to 250,000 left, left in the round. Left in the round, yes. Um, you've already got some commitments. You've got a yep. lead investor. Is that the VC who's the lead investor? Yes, that's right. Okay, you also have other angels who have made interesting signs or they're ready to commit. They're ready to commit. Committed. So they're committed. Committed. All right. So, and you've got about half the round to go and you're looking for people with contacts or experience in sales, business development, marketing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also scalable yes. experience in the region. Yes. The region being? APAC. APAC. Yep. So whoever has that sort of cross-border experience. Yep. Particularly if it was relevant to any of the industries you're talking about, hotels, mm-hmm. travel, hospitality, and mm-hmm. so on. Yep. Would love to um, talk to these people, right? Yes. Okay, good. Rainer Loy, um, really enjoyed hearing your story and what you're trying to do with Good For Food. And I think, you know, you are an impressive individual. Thank and I, you. I think that, uh, you know, not, even in the first couple of minutes, your backstory to how you got here, you know, if you put Good For Food aside for a little bit, even talking about, you know, what you, you know, how you approached your um, faculty about doing an on, 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 internship yeah. in your own company. It says a lot about you. It speaks volume of, about you and what you're trying to do because I think the problem you're trying to address is a huge problem. And fundamentally, it's a behavioral problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it's caused by bad habits yeah. within um, industries that have been doing this for many, many years. So it takes someone with a lot of energy and a lot of positivity because you're going to deal a lot of knockbacks. You know, this is obvious that this needs to be done, but at the end of the day, people, a lot of people are just lazy and things just kind of work as they are, but you need to create change, Mm -hmm. right? So it takes that kind of personality to get it done. And it's great with your current round that you've got a lot of commitment already. I'm sure investors listening to this, watching this, and who will meet you as well, will be very interested in having a chat with you. So thanks a lot for coming and sharing that with us today. Wishing you all the best. What Thank is the so best much. way for people to reach out for you? What's your preferred channel of contact? Yeah, I mean, could reach me via my email. So that's rainerloy at goodforfood.sg. It's R-A-Y. We'll put it all in there. Sorry, oh, yeah, okay, yes. Don't right, worry. Cool. We'll put it all in there. Okay. And um, tell them that you watch this or listen to this and uh, reach out and all those... Uh, checkboxes above all those different sort of requirements that you're looking for anybody in that space please just reach out and you know make first contact with Rainer great thank excellent. you so much for having me well, thank you excellent thanks a lot for coming today and such a great pitch deck as well and you know a great story to your journey let's see how it goes and I'd love to have you back on the show in 6 months 12 months and see where you are in yeah. the journey it'd be fantastic to see the progress yeah that'd be amazing I, I'll be humble excellent Rainer Lawyer everybody You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.